Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Uh, now, I've, I had had this busy like rush up to the end of the year trying to cram in a bunch of stuff, yeah. uh, and now you and I both have kind of light uh, schedule because I was... I was I sick. squandered. I squandered <laughs> my non-school time. I was like, I was like, all right. I, I keep. I kept meaning to get to movies, and then school started. I was like, oh, I, I don't have time for these now. But I'm gonna. I'm still gonna try and make time. But that sounds. Uh, I have yeah. like recurring dreams like that where I have something I should. Like I have something I really want to be at and should be at. Yeah. It's like a big event or whatever, but I'm like, I have to clean out the trunk of my car first. And then it ends up being like two hours of me, like trying to organize all this shit. Yeah. I'm finding the trunk of my car. That's like, that's not that specific, but that is one that I've had. Yeah. But that sort of framework of dream is a recurring dream I have had for years. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, all right. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a short journal. I'm sure yeah, we'll be able to stretch it out. I'm sure. And I was sick, which you would think being sick means, no, you're just on the couch. You can watch movies. Did you get sick, sick yes. from Scott? Um, I got sick that, like that night, the next day. It probably was more likely someone from my work because sure. it, it hit me so soon after we recorded with Scott last week that it probably wasn't his fault. But yeah. I'll give him some shit for it anyway. Because uh, now my wife's sick uh, and, I'm, and I'm over it. But So you'd think being sick I'd have watched more movies, but a lot of times when I'm sick I'm just like watching, I don't know, the Food Network. Or yeah, like, absolutely. We watched, I watched a bunch of Buffy and Angel with, yeah. uh, with my wife. Um, so, yeah, I didn't catch up as much as I thought I would. But I have... Um, some new things to talk about. Okay. Hmm. All right. I think I have three. I might have two and not three because I forgot to check an embargo. For an embargo. Okay. Um, but the first one doesn't matter anyway. I watched a, uh, a Blu-ray, um, came out uh, a few months ago at this point, um, uh, called 23 paces to Baker street. Okay. With, uh, with Van Johnson and Vera miles. Okay. And, uh, it's um, the Blu-ray from Kino Lower looks amazing. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's beautiful widescreen mid fifties, very lush uh, thing. Lots of um, on location. It takes place in London, mm-hmm. and apparently the I read about this. The interiors were shot here in Los Angeles on sound stages, but all the exteriors were shot in London because apparently there was a rule for a while mm-hmm. that I forget what it was called, but it was like a law. Basically, if an American like film company was going to distribute their movie in the UK, part of the deal was a certain percentage of the profit of the movie, of the money they made, of the revenue they made by showing movies in the UK mm-hmm. had to be spent on making movies in the UK. Okay. So... So I so apparently this was the twenty three paces to Baker Street uh, is that because they for all the exteriors they flew Van Johnson and Jeremy Miles and everyone to London and shot everything there. So it's a very lush, it's a very cool movie, a cool looking movie. As far as the story, it's um, well, I think that's so why I said nineteen fifty six. I think um, yeah. what year is Rear Window? Fifty four. Fifty four, I believe. Yes. Okay. Then this is fifty six because this is clearly a <laughs> Rear Window ripoff. All right. In that, instead of a guy um, uh, who's you know uh, wheelchair bound, mm-hmm. thinking he saw a crime, Van Johnson plays a blind guy who thinks he overhears people planning a crime. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and so the rest of the movie is him. He plays so Van Johnson plays a successful American playwright who has a new play uh, at the, in the West End or whatever, and so he's staying at this uh, apartment uh, in London. So it's just him and his um, butler, and then Vera, My- Vera Miles plays his former secretary and ex-fiance, uh, who who, <laughs> who is since like. I guess she lives, I turn over, she lives in London now and now he's come back cause his play is there. So, but anyway, um, and so it's the three of them trying to yeah. figure out, uh, whether or not there is even a crime being planned that yeah. he overheard. And if there is hoping to, to, to stop it. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, <laughs> and then the relationship of him with the, uh, with Vera miles is actually a little bit vertigo, which would come later. Oh, right. So yeah. <clears throat> Everything informs everything else. That's what I think. But anyway, yeah, twenty three paces to Baker Street. It's a if you like that kind of movie, sure. uh, it's a yeah, definitely a worthwhile sit. And the the Kino Lober Blu Ray looks fantastic. 
All right. All right let me check on this embarking. Yeah, okay. So I'll just talk for a while. Um, well, no, it's your turn. I've, so. I finally uh, <laughs> caught up with um, Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, it is beautiful in many ways. The music is marvelous, as you mentioned. Um, I think... You know, it's interesting. I, and I'm, I was going to uh, send out a smart ass tweet about uh, it uh, being part of the Amelie cinematic universe. But, um, <laughs> but then I, I was like, I'll bet I'm not the first person to note the, the similarities. And I yeah. looked it up. It's like, oh, yeah, people have been saying this since the trailer. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm not going to tweet that joke. Because she's kind of Amelie ish. And then the color palette is very, very Amelie. So. Yeah. And there's some accordion in the, uh, in the score. And so I do think that it yes, feels like right. that. Yeah. I think I actually mentioned that in my review and it, you know, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it evoking that, but it definitely, I was, I don't think I was ready for it. I mean, of course he's a marvelous visualist, but I wasn't ready for it to remind me so thoroughly of something other than a Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, but that's all right. It's still, of course it's still gorgeous. Um, and just a really just you know he's operating as a director uh like he's he's banging on all cylinders as they say and Mm -hmm. and i will say that it's it's i think they say firing on all cylinders i I say banging okay um i'm probably you know what i think i'm probably thinking of when brian regan was talking about it (laughs) um but uh, that's it's when he was talking about uh the pop tart and reading the instructions on the pop tart. And it just says, and of course it's Brian reading with that energy level. Uh-huh. And it's like, take pop tart out of pouch. It's like, okay, okay. <laughs> I see where they're going with this. I think we're banging on all cylinders now. So I think that's where I got that. Okay. Sorry about that. Anyway. Um, so yeah, he's, he's doing great. Um, and then, you know, that cast is marvelous, but it's always nice when somebody, it's not that they surprise you. They remind you of how great they are. I've been a fan of Sally Hawkins ever since happy go lucky, Mm -hmm. which is 10 years ago now. And it's a wonderful, I love that performance. And I thought she was great in, you know, um, uh, blue Jasmine and just, and she's, she's in the Paddington movies. And I just always enjoy seeing her. She has, first off, she has kind of a unique look to her. Um, but then also just the way she carries herself, she's a surprisingly, um, malleable actress where she can seem, you know, her part in blue Jasmine couldn't be further from her part in happy go lucky. And then this is very different than both of them. Not the least of which, because she, her character doesn't talk, but, um, which requires her to be a very physical actress and she more than rises to the challenge. Mm -hmm. She's very expressive. It is a, again, I shouldn't be surprised. I know Sally Hawkins is a great actress, but it was just like, Oh yeah, she's like maybe one of the best actresses working today. Um, so there's that. And then, um, you know, uh, it's always fun to see Richard Jenkins and I think Octavia Spencer does a great job. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg is not only is he really great, but I think his character is maybe the most interesting one and maybe the most complex one in the film. Um, of course, our good friend, Doug Jones, Mm -hmm. uh, does a great job. Uh, you know, it, it does work out that these are two very, that these two people that are in love, the performers are both uh, both really need to be very physical and they yeah. i think they probably just kind of sort of feed into each other in that way um i liked michael shannon's performance um but here's where i think i have one or two issues um with script stuff um okay. stru- structurally i think it's fine um and i don't even mind dialogue uh it's always nice to see nick cersei by the way i thought he was uh, a lot of fun but um no it's more yeah, than i watched um three billboards and shape of water on the same day yeah both of which feature nick cersei and a very different nick cersei like mm-hmm. you know he he tends to play characters with a certain degree of authority and he's he has authority in both films but in one it's just like well he's a little bit pearl clutching and trying to be trying to do good things and the other one he's just a just a monster <laughs> um, but a very charming monster that's the other thing that i that i like about him as an actor but um anyway so uh 
No, I think I think what gets me and by the way, in case anybody thinks that I'm going to have a big problem with, uh, you know, them kind of sort of maybe making uh, uh, Michael Shannon's character religious like that bothers me, but not because I'm religious. It bothers me because that seemed easy or just maybe not easy. That's not the right word for it. It seemed a lot of a lot of the story and characters and just the way they relate to each other seemed straightforward in a way that I was like, I wish there, I wish you'd been able to turn this on its head a little bit, which is why I love Michael Stuhlbarg's character so much Mm -hmm. because he's working with the villains, but then he's also, uh, spoilers. (laughs) I think you should avoid spoilers. Okay. uh, There's more. It seems like it's been out a long time to us, but I think that's true. Yes. Um, his character and everything about him surprised me. Nothing surprised me about any of the, any of the other characters. And I'm not looking for a surprise. This is the, one of the things I like about the film is how, how comfortable and familiar it seems even in the midst of often horrendous gore. But, um, and so that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is nice to be surprised as far as character dynamics and his character. I really, really appreciate it. Um, especially there's a scene in his apartment where he is figuring out how things are going mm-hmm. and he is preparing himself for it. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so don't get me wrong. It's it, again, structurally, it's still good. I, it's, I feel like that's a, I'm, I feel like I'm saying I'm complaining about it or anything like that. It's more just, you could do worse than something not surprising you. But then you realize like, yeah, a woman's having sex with a fish man. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe I need to look at the specifics yeah. of uh, these characters. So I think it's mostly just that. But I do want to disagree with you about the Michael Shannon being Christian thing, because mm-hmm. I don't really, th- I don't really think of his character as being Christian so much as I think is of this is a movie that takes place in the early sixties right. and there's an idea of mid-century Americana sure. that we we generally understand. Yes, and most of the characters in the movie represent versions of that that we don't ever see. And so he just represents basically looking at the Americana we've all, always seen, but from, I guess, the underbelly is the word yeah. I'm looking at. He represents the underbelly of that. And so I think that idea of him being sort of a you know, quote-unquote God-fearing man is no longer... It's, it's yeah. no different to him than the color of his hair or what glasses he picks out. It's just a part of who he is. I don't think he's particularly Christian. It's, it's why it actually didn't sting me that much is because I would say he is what I would refer to as culturally Christian. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, a good way of saying it. And so, uh, it didn't feel like it was a big, like it was a dig at this uh, more. That was just, one part of his larger and there's even the line that's in the trailer um or at least part of the line is in the trailer when he says you know god created us in his image you don't think god looks like that do you and i think that's i think to me that illustrates that he he is a christian only in so far as it suits his already established point of view yes i think that's what that's there to illustrate Um, there's more to that line that isn't in the trailer um, yes that makes him uh just just that much more of an asshole but yeah yeah. (laughs) i think that that also might be the issue is and i recognize that with a film like this which is a little bit fable-ish that Mm -hmm. you're only going to sketch out the villain so much and humanize the villain so much but like when i compare him to the character in like pan's labyrinth um, who is also a horrible, horrible person, mm-hmm. but the, the odd preoccupations he has understandably. So with like his son and like care yeah. and having and making a name for himself and understanding that this name is going to last longer than me. And I want my son to know these things. Like that's something that there's an, an inherent nobility in that, that I think everyone can understand. Whereas like, I can't quite figure out what drives Michael Shannon's character. I think he might just be ambitious, but there's something I, I don't want to get into specifics because like I said a lot of people yeah, still haven't uh, seen the movie true. but uh, this isn't exactly a touching relationship with the, with uh, with his son, but his and his wife's weird sex life is not exactly boilerplate. Is it weird? <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not going to call their sex life weird. I mean, look, I I I moved you know, past that years ago. Actually, honestly, I mean, like I think you're kind of right that I think there's a number of different people in the movie that where we get an idea of, for lack of a better term, how they get off. And sure. I think Guillermo del Toro doesn't judge them. I don't think he does either. Yeah. So I should, yeah, I shouldn't have said, weird. I found that one of the more humanizing moments. For the character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, that, I guess that's what I'm saying though. Like there's, that's not, you know, that that's going a little deeper, at least yeah. seeing his home life and seeing yeah. his, uh, his, 
his sex life at least. Is it me or is everything about his character from the perform to the from the casting to the por- performance to the way he's written? Everything seems very David Lynchian to me. Oh, um, right. Yeah. You know, well, he seems like stuff that seems particularly Guillermo del Toro to me. <laughs> right. Yes. Like the fingers, the fingers. Thing, oh, yeah. good God. <laughs> yeah. That's something I should, I like, I, um, my, I recommended the movie to my mom and she ended up really liking it, but I, she pointed out something I hadn't really thought of is you, if you're just watching the trailers, you're seeing this like magic movie, like Amelie type thing. Yeah. And you probably don't have an idea based on the shows alone of just how much you might want to cover your eyes during certain parts of this movie. Well, and that's There's some gory stuff. If you know Guillermo del Toro, you know that right. it's going to be in there somehow. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I realized it was going to be quite so right there yeah. because this feels like a, a, a more sentimental movie than I'm used to from him. And yet he still can't not be him. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, and in some cases I really loved it and was really engaged. Um, I don't remember if it's in my top 10 at the moment, but, uh, but yeah, I'll, I, I wind up reassessing right before we do that episode anyway. So we'll see. I moved some stuff around today. Um, but more in the honorable mentions. I think my top 10 stayed the same, okay. but I'm, I've shifted around my honorable mentions, but, uh, I still have some catching up, uh, to do as we talked about. So anyway, <clears throat> all right. Yeah. So I only have one more cause it turns out I can't talk about this so. uh, thing that I saw. Um, it's nothing you care about. All right. <laughs> it's just one of those movies that is probably not going to get very good reviews. And so they're asking that you don't talk uh, about it until, yeah. uh, it's coming out. Um, before anyway. you do, I have okay. a story to tell. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, so I went back to school and, <laughs> and I'm TAing for a class that is essentially, it's an aesthetics class. It's filmmaking techniques and that sort of thing. And there's the lecture, which has like 250 students in it. And then there are the individual sections. So I teach two sections. Each one has 20 students in it. <clears throat> anyway, during the first lecture, uh, the instructor showed a, a short film, a little nine minute film that was done by a former student of his. And it's actually a pretty good little film. And uh, he is talking about, and the characters are kind of purposely a little vague so that you can read stuff into them. Uh, you can interpret their motivations very differently. Um, but, uh, and there's one instance where essentially this girl is going to a possibly ex-boyfriend or just a friend that they, you know, friend with benefits or something Mm -hmm. like that. And she, it would appear at first that she's manipulating him into doing what she wants and using sex to, to get it. But the instructor is saying like, well, you can look at it the other way, which is he is using, he is doing favors for her so that he gets what he wants. You know, we, we tend to think of, of the manipulation going only one way. Anyway, the point is, so, so he mentions, uh, so the instructor says, you know, Hey, uh, Andreas, the name of the, the male character, you know, Andreas is in this because he wants to get and he and he kind of does that thing that instructors. Uh-huh. I'd say, let's see, about 250 people. I'd say about 249 people thought, well, laid is the word we're looking for. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. But then there is the person that spoke. And what he said was pussy. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, and immediately, and people are just like groaned and the instructor's like, Oh, and he's like, uh, he goes, that's not, you should apologize to me and, and everyone. And the guy's like, Oh, I'm sorry. And you know, it's just this 18 year old kid, but it just like, it, oh, that's it how they really talk in surprised his house, me. In his house, huh? I guess so. It really surprised me. But, uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, we, I just wanted to tell that story while I was thinking of it. All right. Well, speaking of foul mouthed movies, I okay. watched, uh, another i'm going through my uh stack of blu-rays that i haven't reviewed yet uh and i watched uh so shout select put out dennis hopper's 1988 film colors i know colors colors i don't know how you there's a song in there that's how it goes yeah 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 i know you're a big robert duvall fan have you seen colors oh yeah um I, his little uh, story. The, my big memory of it is his story about the uh, cows and the bulls. Is funny because I know that from the Sopranos, but mm. obviously the colors came out before the Sopranos. But yeah. yeah, the story about the bulls and the cows yeah. uh, is in the Sopranos as well. Um, anyway, 
I don't understand this movie's reputation. Cause I went and like read old reviews from the time it came out and people were like, this is a view of gang activity. This, you know, that we've never seen before or of cops we've never seen before. I thought this movie was so stupid mm-hmm. and everything seems so superficial. Uh, I've not seen it since high school. Okay. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think of it as a particularly impactful film. Yeah. I, I remember liking those two lead performances and, and feeling like they kind of feed into each other pretty well. You mean that's, the, that's twice. all in, in, in Sean, Sean Penn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Sorry, that's, I don't, you've what? Uh, that's twice that I've said, talk about performances feeding into each other. And while that does happen, that's the way uh, it works. I don't like, using the same phrase yeah, twice. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's an old, it's a writing thing that is starting to seep into my, uh, my, uh, thoughts on talking. Yeah. So, um, no, it's, it hasn't really impacted me. I remember the song and I remember that, that, uh, little analogy that Robert Duvall makes. Um, but aside from that, I don't recall. Yeah. Maybe it just is, maybe I would just have to, would have to have been seeing it in 1988 when, because that's pre Boys in the Hood, right? And or so Menace to Society, um, yeah. And so that's before we'd had, you know, we this, but it it just, I guess, having seen Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society, which are views of South Central uh, uh, young male violence made by black directors, yeah. I wonder if the colors were just sort of the best we had until those came along. Not that I still think Boys in the Hood is kind of a stupid movie, to be honest. I never um, thought. I've only seen Menace to Society, which uh, I loved. Well, yeah, Menace to Society is really good. I think Boys in, in the Hood is, there's too much of, uh, uh, I think, characters... Um, directly addressing the camera and kind of making big, it, it just feels like it's so soon after do the right thing that it kind of feels like John Singleton. light or something. Yeah. It feels like John Singleton hasn't quite like figured out who he is mm-hmm. yet. And so he's making his version of a Spike Lee movie and it's not, yeah. it's, you know, it's no do the right thing, obviously. Well, very um, few very, are. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, that's not the point. The point is that colors, uh, it just seems way too like again maybe this is just where we you know maybe this is a sign that uh in whatever minuscule ways black america and white america have come a little closer to get closer together in the time Mm -hmm. because the movie seems like it should be a shock to you the viewer that um, black people don't trust cops. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, because there's a drive-by right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Don Cheadle's character uh, um, shoots a, shoots a, is a crip and shoots a blood or whatever. And then when they show up to the scene, there's like the nice old neighbor lady next door, clearly mm-hmm. not a gang member, but she, even though her next door neighbor's son just got shot in the chest, yeah. she's not going to speak a word to the cops. And that's like, I just feel like the movie is so, so I guess, pearl clutching to use the term you used yeah. earlier uh, uh, about it. Um, uh, it's yeah, it's it's on un, it's unfortunate, and I think it's uh, re- it seems really thin. I also think it's um, I feel like it needs to either be longer or shorter because it doesn't actually have much of a plot. Yeah. And so I feel like this it's could sort of be, like a day in the life type of thing, right? But it's multiple of, days. Right, right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think it is supposed to be sort of an overview. And I guess so it could have been like maybe a shortcuts length, like, uh, you know, and let's have more of these characters. Cause really, um, there aren't that there's, there aren't that many gang members that are main characters. There's yeah. the guy, uh, I looked at the actor's name, Trinidad Silva. He's, uh, plays a character named frog. Um, all the gang members have nicknames that are clearly, uh, invented by white screenwriters. <laughs> um, it's yeah, like yeah. T bone and frog. And, <laughs> um, uh, anyway, like he's the closest we get to, uh, um, a sort of, um, well fleshed out view of like a, a high ranking gang member. Um, but it would have, so it, it, okay. Uh, a, a longer, you, you're looking up Trinidad Silva. I knew, I knew he sounded familiar to me. Uh, he actually died at a fairly young age. He died that year oh, at wow. age 38. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was in, uh, UHF. Okay. And with that in? name, he's the guy who, uh, I forget the, it's like Raul's like, um, 
animal planet or something like that in which he's he says like turtles are nature's suction cup and he licks it and throws it to the ceiling and it just <laughs> sticks and he's the one who says badgers we don't need no stinking badgers oh, right. so yeah. that's him um and uh so yeah I, I feel like maybe if it had been a longer thing it would have been more of like a tapestry sure. you know but really it's i, I feel like it's it's like a, it almost feels, it's the way it plays out now. It's like, it doesn't have much of a plot. And yet it's like a white savior movie in which the white people don't actually save anyone, which again, I'll say that out loud. That seems like that's not a bad idea, like, right. but it's not a critique. It well, just seems like here's your, I think it's, it is, I think looking at it from a 2018 perspective, I feel like it, it kind of assumes whiteness on the part of its viewer it assumes that it's holding a white viewer's hand through this kind of world uh, or a middle class you know, someone not of this world you know yeah and it's giving you as tour guides these two cops who aren't exactly sympathetic to what we're seeing yeah. you know um especially sean penn who plays the sort of young young asshole although he has he gets one scene at the end that's kind of like a flash forward or whatever it's like oh i guess he's learned his yeah because then he repeats the bull and cow story that robert duvall yes. said earlier in the movie uh to a younger cop um uh it, it felt it felt clumsy and also i'm uh not a fan of dennis hopper as a director uh, this is the third of his i've seen okay so I, what do we got easy rider right which i feel like is a movie that is more important than good yes like, and one that i think i don't know was probably dated within a year because it certainly <laughs> feels like it now uh, and then the last movie he made, which is not a statement movie at all, he made uh, Chasers. That sort of like uh, um, uh, cops on the run. It's like it's not cops. It's a it's like a midnight run type of oh, movie okay. where um, Treat Williams and I can't. I, I want to say it's like Chris O'Donnell, some young guy. Oh, all right, are transferring a prisoner across the country, like a military prisoner. It's like, they're like Jag, you know, judge, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and the prisoner is Erica Eleniak from, okay. from Baywatch. Here we go. And yes, so it's like, I've seen the, the cover. What, yeah. So it's like, what kind of sexy fun will they get up to? Uh, it's a weird, it's uh, like uh, a sexy last detail. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, so those are the three I've seen. I've never seen the last movie. That um, he did? No, the, he did a movie called The Last Movie. Oh, The movie, Last Movie, oh, yeah. Which is the one he did after Easy Rider, I think. Okay. Um, uh, no, the last movie he made was Chasers. Uh, and then I watched that documentary. I talked about it on the Movie Journal a year or two ago, the documentary about him from the time called The American Dreamer, mm-hmm. in which he... And I hate to speak ill of the dead, but he just came across as a total douche and tool. I, I, I believe it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, colors, uh, can't, can't really recommend it. Um, shot by Haskell Wexler though. Okay. Um, and does some cool stuff. Um, all right. So you have one more movie. Uh, I do, but I did actually want to, um, suggest that colors 1988. The next year was glory. We are a year for a year away from Law and Order. I think it was very much people are interested in race. For, uh, the next year was also Driving Miss Daisy mm. and uh, Do the Right Thing. I think it was towards the end of the Reagan era. I think people were aware of the concept of race relations, and I uh-huh. think they were curious, but I think they were cautious, and so they wanted to see it, but from a point of view that they could understand. And, and the closest why- they can get is cops. Maybe that's why the only one of those movies that really holds up today is the one that didn't play Cautious, which is Do the Right Thing. Yeah, I think so. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I, I mean, I've never seen Driving Miss Daisy. Maybe it's great. It's but. it's very good in a okay. lot of ways. Um, and I'll always say, you know, I, I saw I loved Glory when I was a kid, but I think I just loved it because like a dude's head blows up in like, the opening scene. It's still, just, like, it's still pretty good in a lot of ways. Okay. Denzel Washington, like I think he probably deserved that supporting actor Oscar. Um, yeah. So uh, my last, it's a rewatch, though I hadn't seen the film in a long time. And I watched it as a function of that uh, film techniques, cl- techniques class was Steven Spielberg's E.T. We were talking about narrative and structure and that sort of thing. I haven't seen the film in years. Oh. Um, and do they talk about how? awkwardly structured that movie is and how it spins its wheels for way too long. I, uh, I know what you mean. They don't talk about that. Um, they, uh, 
it's a it's a really odd film when you watch it from a pacing standpoint. You know, yeah. but I actually kind of like it. I like how much time they take. Don't get me wrong; they could probably cut a solid ten to fifteen minutes out of it. But I like how much time they take, like establishing the bond between Elliot and ET. But the, my big takeaway this time was the first few minutes. You almost feel like they, they feel like like the title comes up. It doesn't even say a Spielberg, a Steven Spielberg film. It just says ET. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing you see the extraterrestrial. And then it just stays black screen names of the cast to almost complete silence. And then it's like, okay, now there's this dark force. It's very foreboding and all that. Mm. And I did, and it really doesn't become ET until he, in the midst of this dark forest with men pursuing him happens across a bunny rabbit that does not run away from Mm -hmm. him. But up until that moment, I felt like, okay, this is Spielberg creating an, an alien movie. Um, in the way that we all are used to, which is even though he made close encounters and that was not a, that was not a frightening film, Mm -hmm. but there's like an intrigue quality to it. And it's almost like he's saying like, okay, yes, a few years ago, alien came out, then there's close encounters. And we also saw star Wars. Like there's always like adventure or fear or intrigue, whatever it is. So I will address that. We'll show that there is a, there's definitely an otherworldly quality to that okay, now we're going to show you the type of movie it actually is after a few minutes. Um, and I thought that was a very structurally, I thought that was a very interesting choice. Um, so that was my first takeaway. My second is that Henry Thomas is great in that movie. I think I forgot because you think of like how adorable Drew Barrymore is and that sort of thing. Uh But like he carries that movie in a way that, we need, we should be talking about that performance the way we talk about like Haley Joel Osment in the sixth sense or Jacob Tremblay in room. Like it is a, like he anchors that movie and he plays every part, every emotion that needs to be played. And he does it perfectly. I would say, um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the movie and I think it might actually be, I don't know if I'd say it's the best Spielberg movie, but it might be the most Spielberg movie. <laughs> and I don't say that in a negative way, but everything that you think of positive or negative about Spielberg is, is not merely on display. It's front and center in that film. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I know I, I watched it again a little long ago and, it, uh, and I think we talked on the podcast. I didn't, uh, didn't hold up that well for me. I like the second half when Peter Coyote shows up and there's like mm-hmm. uh, an antagonist and everything. But I think yeah. uh, too much of the the comedy vignettes that make up the first half are hit and miss. Yeah. I like the I love the um, uh, Elliot setting all the frogs free. Yeah. But I hate the ET getting drunk. That yeah. make, is what leads to that yeah. happening. Although I like his performance within that. It's uh, yeah, you know. But by his, you mean ET's performance? Yeah. Oh my, it's a wonderful animatronic. But uh, but that is it is interesting. Like in watching it again, it's like I don't think I remembered how generally broad this is and how filmic this is. Like I remembered you know, the kids hanging out at the table and and talking to each other in a fairly mundane kid like way. And then you watch it and you hear the music and you just see moments like that. And you're like, Oh no, this is a full on movie. He's not trying to show like, Oh, what if an alien came into the real world? Mm -hmm. This is a movie world. A hundred percent. Onto TV, um, uh, you know, when when Natalie and I finished this series, well, uh, revisit it. But we did finally get around to watching the first episode of Mindhunter oh, okay, on Netflix. Yeah. Did you watch? I Mind watched Hunter? all of it. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, so I, mean, I, I, I enjoyed the first episode, and I'm looking forward to seeing more. What I what it got me thinking about was, uh, and there was I'm trying to remember who this. It might have been, it might have been David Fincher, but. Um, I was saying this about a director recently that sometimes as directors, I don't like them, don't like them, don't like them. And then something makes me like them. Right. And then I start wondering, should I go back and watch the old stuff? Cause sure. that's, that's essentially what happened with Paul Thomas Anderson. I liked heart eight, but I didn't like, 
uh, Boogie Nights or Magnolia. Yeah, and you like uh, Punch Drunk Love, but that wasn't quite enough. And then There Will Be Blood was the one. I think that really... it sent me sent me back and realized made me realize like oh I've matured or there's something that no. was the key to unlocking. And so what I thought watching the first episode of Mindhunter, which is directed by David Fincher, uh, was I was like if this had come out before Zodiac. I probably would have been put off by this style because it's incredibly mannered. It is more so than I expected, but maybe I should have expected it. People don't really talk like real people, but that's um, something I said uh, recently um, on Twitter with an Twitter conversation with someone um, that I think I'm going to start working into my general like sayings about movie movies is that I don't require that movies be consistent with reality. I just require them to be consistent with themselves. Yes. And I think that that's what I think that is what's going on here in Mindhunter. I think if you're, if you're coming at it saying, is that how people, is that how this would have gone? Is that how people act? No, people don't talk like that. It really does seem to be, uh, in some ways, like a spiritual cousin to like, the world of Thomas Harris. Like everything's just a okay. little bit heightened, you yeah. know? Um, and that's, that's okay because it is consistent. And I definitely think episode two or three, once they start introducing certain characters, okay. it's like, okay, this has become something important, but one maybe thing, not important, but I, good. I'll ha- I'll have to see the impression that I get. Cause I see the Thomas Harris thing. And obviously the character he's playing is sure. the same person who was the, um, inspiration for the Jack Crawford character in right. in Red Dragon and in Silence of the Lambs. Um, but the difference from what I can see from the first episode is that the David Fincher's vision here doesn't seem to be as it seems to be just as interested in the psychology and in the way that serial killers are damaged. It doesn't seem to be quite as enamored as Thomas Harris can sometimes be. That's like, I think Thomas true. Harris sees. Um, have you met any of the killers yet? No. Mm. Um, okay. But that, that's why I'm not sure that how, if, if, if this is just my impression, but I think Thomas Harris sometimes problematically, um, sees something beautiful in the way that people are, uh, broken. Um, and you've read him and I haven't, but I mean, certainly Hannibal found a perverse beauty in that stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas um, this, because the killers they talk to are all real killers, uh-huh. um, their crimes are not these these beautiful, meticulous <laughs> right. art installations. They are they are creatively horrendous, but not like that. It's more okay. just like I cannot believe someone has done that. It's that, especially the first guy you meet, and that performance. I've said it before. That performance, when you see him, okay, you'll be like, "This is uh, amazing to me." Okay, um, but I, I do know what you mean. Um, yeah, uh, but just to even just to get away from the subject matter of the show, just to go back to David Fincher, that that opening, the very opening sequence, the hostage negotiation is so Fincher and so perfect in that it's a very tense situation that has a forward momentum of mechanics, but he never does anything to to like, you know, goose it to juice like he has such control yeah. over the pace and the way that it unfolds like no one other than just to be heard no one raises their voice no one gets emotional yeah um uh, at least in terms of the the law enforcement people don't uh and it just maintains this tone but it still is creeping sort of inevitably towards yeah. a bad ending. It's a great opening sequence. It is great. And it's, I mean, it's so heartbreaking mm-hmm. and tragic in a lot of ways. And I do, okay, this is going to be a little bit lofty, but, uh, it's almost as though like it takes on the tone of what it must be like to be a cop or an FBI agent or something like you're dealing with some of the worst things ever. And the most you can do is just do what you're supposed to do right. and try to remain as disengaged as you can so that you stay sane. Um, so there's, there's going to be a certain degree of distance and procedure in the midst of horrendous chaos. Um, and I feel like you, you get a fair amount of that. Um, in the, um, in the show, I'll end by just this is just a little nitpick. There's one scene between um, 
what's his name? Jonathan Groff. Groff, yeah. And uh, the, there's the other Holt McCallany. No, not him. Not him. Oh. The first guy that he meets, that he, he listens to his lecture, they go get a beer. Yes. yes. So that scene, I know the mechanics of and just the the logistics of how movies and TV are made. I like I know when you see a, she, a scene in a crowded bar, often that noise is being added later, and they're just right. recording the two people talking. Because, but I, it felt so obvious here yeah. that. That, that like it was a really it added to like I talked about you know I talked about how sort of manner the conversation is that's the one or more than any other scene that's the one that felt really stilted to me I think because it was obvious like they're just talking to people and they right. add all this noise and it's like this doesn't make sense uh, it sounds weird and wrong and off but that's just a little nitpick but as opposed as opposed to like the opening scene of Social Network where. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lot of it can be in the actors' performances. Like they need to, like I. Not that I go to bars very often, but I know enough that like I know how my voice needs to sound in yeah. order to be heard. It's one of the things I don't like about going to bars. It's I remember a, my bachelor party yeah. at the end of the night. We were at. Uh, I think I told this story before. We were at Little Joy, and you were like. You're just sort of perplexed by it. You're like, so I'm enjoying the company and the conversation, but why do we need to be doing it here? <laughs> yeah, it's it's well, and I, that wasn't a judgment on you. It was more just like, no, I, it's like it, I, I didn't think people it was go to bars either. to talk, which is like the one thing that's going to be really hard to do while <laughs> you're there. Um, you know, it speaks to just my general uh, not distaste, but just inexperience with bar culture. But you know, part of uh, that's actually part of the appeal to me because something. And you can ask, my wife gets so annoyed with me sometimes if we're like at dinner or something. Mm-hmm. I am so against the idea of other people um, hearing, like overhearing our conversation. Right. Or not that we're saying anything secretive, but I don't want to intrude. That sometimes I'll talk so quietly that my wife on the other side of the table is like, I can't hear what you're mumbling. Yeah. And so I think the appeal of a bar, what that noise does yeah. is... I could be yelling at you, which I kind of have to, yeah. but the person one table over isn't going to hear or at least not be able to make sense of what we're saying. That, that is, that's appealing to me. Yeah. And actually that has happened with me and Jen every once in a while. And I'm not a mumbler, but like I will drop my voice because I'm so worried about not that I'm saying, I'm probably saying things remarkably boring and thus a little bit embarrassing, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, sometimes that's even worse when there's, this happened to me in big bear this past weekend, we were like waiting for a table at this restaurant and there was a group and there's this one guy in the group and all he was just asking his friends about their new baby and what it's like to fly with a new baby. Yeah. Not anything wrong, but it was yeah. such a banal conversation yeah. for him to have such a loud voice <laughs> that I was like, this is more annoying than if you were saying something stupid. <laughs> yeah, there's just uh, aggressive banality, really. Yeah. Um, so, okay. All right, let's move on. It's that time of year again. And, uh, indeed, Ama- yes. The Amazing Race is back. Now, uh, two episodes have aired. You've seen both. I've seen both. Um I was at the LA OFCS awards dinner last night and was not able to watch the second episode of the amazing race season 30. Well, I guess that's the one thing I have in this situation <laughs> is that I'm a little bit ahead in this show. Um, but, uh, I really enjoyed the first episode. I did as well. Um, and I will say that the second episode, they end things in a way where it's like, Oh, they haven't done that before. Oh, and, that's it's, and it's really tense. Um, but, uh, no, I enjoyed the, f- the first episode, but, um, I did want to ask you, there's something that happens invariably with me and Jen and it's, n- it's different with survivor, like okay. with amazing race, because it is, it is, it's a race. You just keep moving forward. And if you, you have to do this task and yeah, sometimes there's some like social stuff, but for the most part, it's like, it's very straightforward. To such a degree that, you know, if there are people, there are so many elements to Survivor that if somebody is just like screwing this up, this other element up completely, it's possible for me to still kind of be on their side. Whereas if, if there's a team that we, that Jen and I both really like, but they are making dumb, fast, Uh poorly thought out decisions, 
over and over again, where it's like, if you took a moment, if you, it, and of course it's easy for us to say, cause we're just watching, but like, right. come on guys. If and we can see the thing at the bottom, or, or, the bottom of the screen that says hashtag read the clue. It's yeah. It's stuff. Like I don't that. know if that was in the second episode, but that's something that they do a lot. They do it a lot. And then, but there are just, there are moments in the, there's a team that Jen and I both really liked in the first episode, but they just kept making mistakes and they were avoidable mistakes. And then after a while, Jen and I, we just, although now I don't remember exactly what the mistakes were. Which, which team was it? The, the NBA guys. Oh. They're both very, I like them both. They're both fun, but they just kept making a certain mistake and, and then made another one on top of that. And what was the second one? I don't remember. Okay. But Jen and I both had this moment where something in us like breaks or like a, a switch gets flipped or something. And we're like, you know what? Screw these guys, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, if they make it, they can redeem themselves maybe. But like right now they don't deserve to make it, you know? And, uh, yeah, I did feel bad for them. Cause that, well, that one thing, cause that even tripped up the Harvard guy was yeah. the, the two O's one had an accent and one didn't. Yeah. Um, and I think there were a number of teams that, I, I don't think they realized one had an accent and one didn't. They just were lucky enough to put them in the right order the first yes. time. Yes, uh, no question. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, but I, I'm trying to think what teams... I, I feel like there's not anyone that I'm particularly like, I like this team yet. Um, right. Um, there aren't a lot of I don't like them, though. I mean, I'm looking forward to... I, I think nice people are not the goat yoga ladies for for a team to be that much at each other's throats leg once yeah i was like this is not gonna go well yeah um and so i'm not looking forward to uh or i'm maybe part of me in a shot and away is looking forward to seeing sure. how it goes with that team yeah and you know and it ends with that photo finish which is really interesting and then like and it was between one team i didn't care about which was the ring girls or whatever and then who the the girls who like go who like hold up the signs and like boxing oh yeah, yeah yeah so they were the team that got eliminated and it was like in it the was first a literal episode. photo finish yeah, yeah yeah uh and it was them and and goat yoga uh-huh. girl uh women and so and I was like, oh, it's like, don't get me wrong. I don't care that much about the ring girls, but I wanted this other team gone. Um, <laughs> but don't you like kind of want to see them? <laughs> I, no, I don't enjoy that. Uh, I don't um, know. Natalie and I were like, I mean, laughing, but also sort of like gaping at each other. Like, I can't believe they're fighting this badly so yeah. soon and like, they're saying a, she can be a bit of a B. <laughs> like, yeah and it's like no just keep doing your passive aggressive things like wow you guys are there immediately these aren't like little like like oh and like a tone of voice like oh okay well they're probably just stressed like no they immediately go to like the deeper stuff uh which is yeah. uh, pretty rough but um as far as teams i like and this always th- this surprises me sometimes there is a team this couple that met on big brother and because I have an association with big brother, which is not a direct one cause I've never seen it, but just you think of it as just <laughs> an incredibly trashy show, right. but they really seem to like each other like, and are very patient with one another. And they are also that's, just very good. That's what I like to see. Um, I do like, I thought they were Yale. Um, yeah. Did, the, I, did I say Harvard? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, they're definitely. Okay. Yale. Yeah. But, uh, the debaters, I like both of them. I, yeah, I thought like two people that are good at debating. I feel like this is going to be a nightmare to watch. <laughs> no, they're actually, they're both very encouraging of one another. There are, there are other teams that I, I like the eaters. I think they're both pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then okay, you're, you obviously, you watched this more recently. You watched the second one just last night. Right. Right. Cause it's been a few days. I'm forgetting teams, but yeah, I was going to mention, mention the Yale team because I thought, uh, um, I'm worried, uh, whenever there's, excuse me, whenever there's a team like that, I'm worried about when it gets to more physical challenges. Cause I don't think either one of them is particularly fit. Episode two. Okay. Is <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of rough, but, uh, it was fun, like, uh, I can't remember who the, the person was who referred to the, Yale yeah, like said like Yale wizards or whatever they yes, called yes. them wizards. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I felt like it was kind of like sweet to me how I think, disproportionately tickled she was by, by being called a wizard. Yes. It's like, it's not that like creative a thing, but she was like, just kept repeating it. Well, my guess is about it. they probably haven't 
run across a whole lot of creativity or personality in their <laughs> lives. Not to imply they don't have them, but, uh, and then there, there is one other team. It's again, it's a couple, it's the, uh, I believe they're lifeguards or whatever. And the big thing is like, they've been together for a long time. They've been he dating for nine years, nine years. And, and she he wants hasn't to get, proposed yeah. and, and everything about their dynamic is bothersome to me. It seems, you know what? It seems like somebody wrote them. Like she's this annoying woman who just like, why haven't you proposed? And he's like, sorry, dear. But also he's also annoying. Uh, yeah. I just don't really, I feel like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'm just going by my own. Exp- I've only ever proposed to one person. <laughs> it sure. worked out, but it feels like if your relationship gets to the point where one person is saying out loud, I need you to propose. Right. Like, that's not a cute trait. Like that's you need to assess the relationship at that point. Like yeah. that might, that might be saying something about why you haven't like, you know, if you guys decide you don't want to get married, sure. that's a different thing. But it's clear they but want two separate things here. Yeah. It's, this needs to be a conversation. This isn't like a, Oh, women, this isn't that kind right. of thing. Yeah. This Nothing is, should be, but you know, maybe he's not committed or maybe, I, maybe she is requiring too much, but you know what? I, I will say nine years, <laughs> Should I get off the pot? Well, I don't like that (laughs) phrase, but sure. Um, But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm mostly excited for this season. Oh yeah. Always. Um, Always. uh, Always. Yeah. There are some seasons where it's like, there are maybe two teams that I like and they're not going to last. Um, Whereas this season, uh, there are a number of teams that I do like. I still feel like the nature of the show is such that, especially watching, having a person to watch it with that you always watch it with. Like I did my wife, whether you like the teams or not, there's a fun part of like every challenge comes up or everything comes up and you turn to each other and say, what would we do? Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's a big part of, of can you imagine running the race with me? You can't (laughs) because we'd be eliminated halfway through the first one because I'm not, Okay, this isn't my self-loathing thing. I'm not good at much, uh-huh. and I've got my eating thing. And listeners, I think I've said this before. I don't know how to ride a bike, and so like, <laughs> or drive stick. Like everything that the amazing you race have enough is. time when between finding out you're going to be in the amazing race, sure. you have time to learn to drive sure. stick, which is why it's particularly annoying to me when a team gets there and doesn't. Like you, you knew what was coming. It is. It's like Survivor. Uh, like there are people that once they find out they're going to be on survivor, they go like, it's going to be months and they're like, all right, time to go in my backyard and learn how to make fire with a Flint, you know? Yeah. And good. just, that's what they should do. And they should do it because um, they might actually be required to do it for competitively. Um, but the thing with my wife, it's all theoretical too, because I think I've said this before. Uh, she's a vegetarian and she has told yeah. me like, because there were, um, uh, who were the two doctors a few seasons ago? Nat and Cat. Nat and Cat. And yeah. one of them was a vegetarian. They had to eat a sheep's head. Yes, they did. And she just kept saying, like, tastes like a million dollars. And they won a million dollars at the they end. Did. Uh, and I, like, looked at Natalie and she was like, nope, not even for a million dollars. I'm not eating eating meat. Uh, and but is, then, it, is it for for uh, humane purposes? It's or all is of the above. Okay. I mean, I, my understanding, I mean, she's been a vegetarian since she was, well before I knew her, since she was, like, 15. Okay. My understanding is, outside of, like, baked chicken she never really liked meat to begin with uh, baked chicken is pretty good <laughs> you would think so it's very it's bland not- <laughs> <laughs> i guess i did just say like like oh i could go for that right now just you know my um, little styrofoam uh yeah so uh, but then as soon as i say well who should i go on the amazing race with natalie's like no one you should go with me <laughs> yeah it's like well this is an endless <laughs> this is not gonna be great for us <laughs> yeah um anyway uh I look forward to more Amazing Race. As do I.